0: You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. I'm
1: Kenneth, and I don't have the Supermax vision.
0: <laughs> yes, because tonight we are looking at the Star Hunter Redux episode number sixteen, Supermax. Aboard the mega space station Reno Seven, Dante and the gang are trying to scavenge parts for the Transutopian, but it looks like that might not be the only thing they're picking up. As an aggressive woman, Zelda comes on hard to Dante, but is put off when she sees his uh, crew. Before they can discuss Dante's prospects, they are called back to the ship by an alert. There are unauthorized intruders on board. Not really, though. It's just the ship's new owner, Max, and his work crew, who are installing new equipment on the ship. New owner? This is the first Dante's heard about it, and he's not happy. Max, owner of the Supermax Corporation, has bought the ship from Rudolfo and is converting it into a space prison barge. Of course, there's a place in the corporate structure for Dante and Lucretia if they want it. They do not. But a quick check with Rudolfo and review of the legal records proves that it is true. The Transutopian is now owned by Supermax. Dante feels that he still has six months on his lease, and they decide to take the ship and leave. That doesn't go well because this isn't the 1880s and you can't just leave space dock without proper clearances. Dante and Lucretia hatch a different plan. They decide to take Max up on his offer and join the Supermax team. They even find a place for Percy doing janitorial work. In reality, under Dante's plan, Percy has finally been put to work at the one thing she has proven an unfailing genius for, sabotaging the ship. Supermax has a strict margin for profit that must be met, and Dante hopes to bankrupt the company. It's just one more complication. Zelda, the woman with the hots for Dante from the beginning of the episode, she's Max's wife, of course, and when she comes aboard, she really likes the looks of Dante in a uniform. Almost as much, she makes abundantly clear, as much as she'd like him out of uniform. They make way for the prison transfer station. A celebratory dinner that evening with the four of them is uncomfortable. Not only are Zelda and Max constantly sniping at one another, Dante's got a foot in his crotch. He gets Lucretia to pretend to be a couple with him in the hopes of dissuading Zelda. Why on earth would he think that a woman openly trying to seduce him in front of her husband would care if he has a plus one? Lucretia has received word from the orchard. Supermax is overextended financially. They can't afford any delays or cost overruns. Percy's genius for destruction shines as she sabotages the reactor, and they must return to Reno 7 for expensive repairs and delays. While they're there, Dante pads the repair bill even more. Zelda puts a proposition to Dante. Get rid of my husband and I'll buy you this ship. He asks her if she knew that Supermax, and therefore Max, was nearly bankrupt. She didn't know, and she doesn't believe. Well, maybe a little. Lucretia gets the Orchard to pressure Supermax's bank to call in all the loans that are in arrears. Pressure is mounting on Max, but as they say, pressure makes diamonds. Underway once more, more of Percy's sabotage kicks in. The security system starts to fail, causing the automatic prison security doors to fail. With this failure, they don't meet the requirements for handling prisoners and cannot take their contracted allotment. Max ignores this and presses ahead. They'll just use manual security and and won't tell the prison authorities. Zelda puts the hard moves on Dante, and as he tries to resist her charms, Max comes storming in. Zelda changes her tune immediately and accuses Dante of attempted rape. Max has him locked up, and Lucretia too, just because. Zelda wants more. She wants Dante dead. If Max were more of a man, he'd kill Dante for what he tried to do to her. And so he does, having one of his minions throw a gas canister into the lockup area so that Dante and Lucretia will die. Zelda's appalled, you idiot. You're not really supposed to kill them. Luckily, Percy arrives in time and gets them out. They storm the bridge and wrest control of the trans-utopian from its rightful owner, and head merrily on their way back to Reno 7 the end i uh i'm going to i'm going to say something here first before we get into this episode okay i still see this show as poorly acted and and i'm i'm going to use the word crude but i don't mean that crude as in the vulgar sense i mean crude is in the unrefined Unpolished, unpolished, just just doesn't gel right. That said, they should have a lot more episodes like this and a lot less episodes than all the rest. This is bound to be my favorite of all the episodes. Uh, It wasn't great, but it had a lot more to recommend it. Dante was, with the exception of one little bit where he did something ridiculously stupid you know, behaving in a a reasonable fashion, executing a plan that actually worked. He and Lucretia were getting along. They both seemed like human beings. Percy wasn't in it much. And when she was in it, she was doing the thing she does best, which is destroying the ship. Yeah, there was some broad farce to it that was a little over the top and... I wouldn't. It wasn't a laugh a minute comedy like I suspect they thought it was going to be, but it amused me for the forty-five minutes or fifty minutes that the episode ran, which is more than I can say for quite a few of the other episodes. So, eh. (laughs) like, eh, eh. there I've said it. I've found an episode of Star Hunter Redux that I didn't think was the star lost, you know, kind of stuff. So, all right, there we go. What do you think of this episode? Worst one ever, right? No, no. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. <laughs> um, it's really quite entertaining. Um, the soundtrack helps with it, too. Um don't know if you noticed did... the soundtrack. I did not. Um, but it, it was um, very much more of a comedy soundtrack. And I did look up the composer of this soundtrack, and it was Mr. Robert Duncan, by the way. And he can... He composed this score and one other score, which was the score for an episode coming up called Bad Girls.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, but- um, I didn't notice the score, and I'm, I'm hard-pressed now trying to think about it. What I can say is that I do occasionally notice the score in other episodes, and I don't think it's very good. So, so here's another instance where they've achieved a level that didn't bother me. So I guess that's good, and it didn't do any you know wah 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 wahs, which you know I could see them doing that, but they didn't. So I guess, I guess that's a good thing. You know, I'm I'm kind of um, I'm of two minds on soundtracks. I, I'm largely in the camp of I want to hear it, and I want to enjoy it, and. But I do get the logic of a soundtrack stays out of the way, too. And I think in some cases, I suppose that's appropriate. But uh, well, you know, so I never the, want it to annoy me.
1: Yeah, I think about soundtrack. This one, I noticed, usually I don't notice the soundtrack. But I noticed this because, number one, it was a different composer. Mm-hmm. Usually Donald Kwan, who composed the music over the opening credits, uh-huh. Uh, composed the rest of the music for the episode, so my ear caught the difference because it was a difference because the episode music was a different style than the opening credits music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I also noticed there's a there was a bit of a humorous edge to it over the funny parts where Percy was crawling through tube through tunnels and in committing sabotage. There was a little the sound, there was a Little humor adventure motif in the music.
0: Hmm. They missed the trick than letting him do the do more of the music then. Yes. Um now I will I will say, since we're on the subject of the theme music, I don't know if we've talked about the theme music. No, we haven't. Uh, this is another one of those ones that I think I would like that if it had different instrumentation or a different tempo I, 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 it's that sort of percussive clonk to the clonk clonk I don't like
1: yeah well, well that's the point I did notice when I started watching the Redux episodes that um, someone had reor- someone had reorchestrated the theme the original version doesn't have all that
0: what about the calls to Mecca? going on in there too is it is it sans that as well
1: yeah i mean it's yeah. really um it, all, you do, all you have to do here is go to youtube and type in star hunter intro and you can pull it up
0: mm. i might take a look at it just out of curiosity you even um, has
1: dante's narration on it and you get I, to I, and you get to see the original version of the tulip
0: and the thing is i don't actually hate the tune I I find myself humming it a little bit. Um, you know, it it's nothing like it's nothing like what happens when I watch an episode of Mission Impossible where I will go, you know, 3 weeks and find myself dun, 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 Yeah. Dun, dun, yep. constantly. <laughs> um, but for an hour or two after I've watched Star Hunter, I I'll have that in there, but my brain will be redacting the, the garbage can lids and the <clears throat> and the, the, the foreign sounding and I, when I say foreign sounding, I mean, yeah, it does a bit sound like a call to Mecca, but, it, you know, the human voices he, they're clearly trying to go for an alienist or exotic feel and it's very ham-fisted in the way it's done over it, and, but you know, the rest of the soundtrack kind of has the annoying bits, but not the <laughs> the the tune that I sort of kind of like so yeah yeah,
1: yeah. the original um end closing the original in credits of music does have the little does have the syllable singing in it mm. um but the opening but the opening is just an just an hour and 15 it's just a minute and 15 seconds of instruments mm. Mm.
0: well uh, it's another I'll I'll try to think of I'll try to check it out on YouTube if I can, for the opening for the other one, just curiosity' sake before our next podcast session. See if I have any thoughts on it. I, I've been avoiding Star Hunter: The Original because that's you know not uh, not what we're looking at, but I might yeah. for the sound of the music <clears throat> hear Julie Andrews singing the theme. Um, <laughs> yeah, got it. What? Um, i i they're they're like i said i i'm, I'm fine I, i'm fine with this episode it was a it was a, a, a harmless inoffensive uh hour or however long they are actually
1: the original was forty seven minutes this one's this one's about forty five
0: okay a harmless forty five minutes that was relatively entertaining um but it does it does raise tons of questions um about what the heck is going on with the ownership of this ship? So, Rudolfo owns it. Rudolfo employs Dante. And Dante leases the ship. Yes. That's a weird arrangement.
1: Yeah, wouldn't it be simpler for Rudolfo to take some percentage of the bounty and call that rent? I don't know.
0: Why, why, why does he charge rent... To his bounty hunters who are doing his work. That's because, the part. That's like that's like making you pay for your own company car. It's because it's, like, it's, it's, the, it's, because it's not it's Domino's Rudolfo. Pizza. It's because yeah. it's Rudolfo. I get it if Domino's Pizza makes their drivers drive their own car. Right? That makes sense. But if Domino's Pizza supplied the cars for their delivery drivers and then made them lease them to use them, that would be uh, a, a that's just weird
1: i mean it's it is weird but but so but so is rudolfo
0: and i the only reason i think that they have that in there i don't because i don't recall them ever mentioning that prior that he's got a lease on it for the next six months maybe they did but i i don't recall that is because otherwise dante hasn't got a leg to stand on i mean if he has a legal if he has a legal document contract with Rudolfo that says this ship is his as long as he makes the payments for the next six months, Rudolfo can't break that without whatever the suffered penalties are for breaking a lease, which would be, I would guess, at the very least, a certain amount of financial payback or penalty. But you know, but if, if it was just strictly you work for Rudolfo and Rudolfo owns the ship and Rudolfo sells the ship, bye. You're gone forget it you you, you you don't have any grounds for outrage you just you just have to leave but i wonder and then the other question it raises for me is what is the status of the ship when it's done it's still owned by supermax doesn't matter if supermax goes into receivership doesn't matter if the owner of supermax goes to jail for attempted murder corporate assets are corporate assets they own that ship They don't just hand it back to Rodolfo and say here you go uh Unless he's got escrow and something of that nature. So well, except
1: I, except at the beginning of the next episode Rudolfo owns the ship.
0: Yeah. Funny that. But I figured also, they'd ignore it. Also
1: <laughs> the, also but the it no, actually, um the next episode in the original doesn't ignore it. It opens with with acknowledging it. Um it just is that after this there is no Supermax Corporation. And yeah. um
0: the ship reverts. Yeah, that that's not the way that works. I mean, he's got creditors; those banks. He owes fifteen months in arrear to those banks. They're not letting that ship go back. <laughs> that is,
1: uh, that is, unless um, Dante is correct in that um, in that Rudolfo is legally obligated to honor the lease that still has six months left on it.
0: I mean, obviously, in the, in the far-flung future, perhaps they figured out a way around this, but bankruptcy is, tends to be a, 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 a messy mess that hauls out in the courts for a long time as everyone tries to carve up their pieces of the pie. Because, you know, if, if let's say that—I'm the I'm making numbers up here. He, he bought the ship from Rudolfo for 10 million gizwatts. And he owes the bank twenty million gizwatts, and he owes various other creditors another fifty million gizwatts. And if his corporation goes down, all of them want their gizwatts, and they'll take all the assets, which will be the ship, and they will sell them off and they will distribute the money to them independently. Separately, because they're only gonna get they're only gonna get pennies on the dollar or the gizwat. They're only gonna get micro micro gizwatts on the gizwat, and uh so yeah and and even if they did decide, you know he bought the he bought the ship from Rudolfo, he never made a payment to Rudolfo, but we legally transferred the title, therefore, after six to eight months in bankruptcy court, eh, Rudolfo might actually get the ship back, but it's not gonna it's not gonna be let's head back to space dock and you know, get this prison stuff out of here and then leave. It's going to be a long time, anyway.
1: I guess the bank figured, wants. So the bank wants its Kwotles, Hmm. to quote another fictional currency.
0: I, I didn't want to use a, a real fictional currency <laughs> <laughs> from a real show. I uh, so that that's uh, one. And the other one that I want to question to you is: Do we? Did we really think? that after Lucretia's father was blown into atoms that she would still actually be employed by the orchard or have anybody that she could call in a favor from cuz that was the part that surprised me the most about this episode was like who at the orchard's going to help her at this point
1: there yeah, I, as, that surprises as, me as there are as i've said there are factions in the orchard and uh, Lucretia does have allies there
0: so she's still technically working for the orchard then. This was not severed when daddy got blown up.
1: That yeah, is correct. Hmm. At least she's working for one faction of the orchard, the same faction that her father belonged to.
0: Hmm. I uh, I kind of thought she was working for the orchard because her father was working for the orchard. Yeah. And That's she, one and, of those.
1: but she still had allies and, um, well, that'll come up in the season also. And, um, but on a little funny note here, she, um, I like. I made a note of this line where Lucretia um, and Dante were discussing their plan to um, undo Supermax. Oh yeah, this is and uh, she's to work uh, and for it. said no, pret- go pretend to work for them. And she said how, how hard could that be? I pretend to work for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Although technically she was pretending to work for Rodolfo. <laughs> right, exactly. But still, I, uh, yeah. But yeah, all right.
1: <laughs> and it's interesting that there, there was a cut line. In the Redux episode, and uh, in the original episode, right after Luke said that, uh, Percy turned to Dante and said, "She's a weird one."
0: Huh, that is a weird line. Glad they cut it. That that's uh, that just uh, yeah, that kind of spoils the joke. It's better without it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the that's you know the punchline is I pretended to work for you. Boom, trying to demonstrate that Percy is. Out of sync uh, with that is uh, <laughs> yeah interesting. I
1: also noticed um, that um, the original that Max who who according to the sequel in the second who according to the sequel episode in the second season ha, has a last name which is Fairly um, had plan that Max had plans to take on twenty two lifers. Um, on a ship that size, I mean that leaves a whole lot of um, unused
0: space. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's uh, let's talk about this plan. In in what reality does it make any sense to convert a functioning spacecraft to a prison for super hardened criminals? It I doesn't. mean, of all things, yeah. Of all things, you don't want to do. You do not want to put them on board the means of their own escape. No. You put them on
1: some maximum maximum security prison on some inhospitable rock.
0: Yep, <laughs> that that's exactly right. You buy a little asteroid somewhere and stick a stick a lean to on it and shove them in there. So that one, at first, I thought he was taking over. You know, when he comes in and he's having his yak yaks with Dante and they're putting in bars and stuff, I thought, well, they're just going to turn this into an actual professional bounty hunting and transport business. Because that's what you use a ship for. You use it for transport of prisoners, not permanent housing. Although we did learn that they planned to actually kill the prisoners. So
1: it could be the business model.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But you know there's an awful lot of expense to keeping a spacecraft going compared to a lean-to on an asteroid kind of thing that that just yeah it, it it's yeah I I feel like they could have I feel like they could have done this within the Bounty Hunter game and and still achieve the exact same the exact same goals cuz I could imagine Dante not wanting to be the guy that just goes from one prison to another all the time i know he did that that one time but you know maybe if they our job is just to transport the worst prisoners from prison a to prison b and then from prison b to prison c and and we have to do it on schedule we can't go where we want to go we have to follow this you know fixed route dante wouldn't be happy about that because he wants to cheat his job and go searching for travis they could have done the same thing but but turning it into a prison ship just kind of goes, all right, that, that's not the, the brilliant businessman is not quite so brilliant there. Oh, Max, I think we...
1: Max comes across rather badly doesn't he. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, so badly that it just boggles my mind that you now tell me there's a sequel to this. There is a sequel. Um, but I will ask one question about the sequel. Is that the episode that this same composer writes for?
1: Uh, not in the original version, no.
0: Well, I doubt very much that. People
1: uh, uh, people rescored the entire second season.
0: Oh, did they? Yeah. Mm. Okay. But, and that guy came back and scored one Um,
1: for the second uh, season? No, um, three episodes down the road.
0: Oh, that's this season then, still, right?
1: Yeah, and the uh, name of the uh, sequel is Super Max Redux. Clark, which geez. and of course now, now in in uh, in now there in, uh, in Star Hunter Redux people put redux on the end of every episode title. So technically this is Supermax Redux and the redux version of the second season episode is Supermax Redux Redux.
0: Ah <laughs> uh, why didn't they just make it Supermax Redux Part 2? Yes. Uh <laughs> that'd be nice. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, but um, um, Max. Somebody pro- likes the word Redux. Exactly. Well, Max Max Fairly. We do do we do learn his last name in the second season. Um, is a um, pitiful little worm with inadequacy issues, and he wants his wife to think he's a real man.
0: Mm. Yeah, we got she, that. Got she keeps putting
1: him down. And speaking But really she loves him. Oh, except when she doesn't. Um the um except when she's trying to get people to kill him. Um the um okay, Tracy Ann Oberman, as Zelda.
0: Yes, yes. This show's got a torchwood vibe about it.
1: Yeah. <sighs> yeah, she um, of course was on um, back in Doctor Who in the David Tennant era for the two parter, Doomsday and Army of Ghost. She was the head of one of the Torchwood units, and um, I had to—I have Mary to say Worf. this, so I'm going to go for it. She wanted to make the British Empire great again.
0: Mm-hmm. She did it for her country.
1: Yeah, all the way to becoming um, a brain inside a metal case.
0: Yeah. yeah, but at least she stood against them in the end. Yes. She died a heroic cyber death, if such a thing exists. Yeah. Well, I mentioned the Torchwood vibe because for those of you who we haven't mentioned, or if we have mentioned it, uh, Caravaggio is also uh, notably was in Torchwood yeah. uh, as as Mr. Creepy. Uh, That's I right. I have, to go, I, have to, I
1: have to go find that one. I have the entire set of Torchwood.
0: Uh, I cannot remember. It was a season ending first season.
1: Ah, he was the one trying to bring up Abaddon, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, something like that yeah yeah I managed to put torchwood out of my brain I, I got through the first season and I said yeah nah <laughs> it's like life's too short I, children of earth was okay though
1: uh, children of earth was, I will give it children back. of earth was devastating that too
0: that too uh, okay let's see what else do we have about this
1: but um um here we have some evidence of characters having had conversations between scenes. For example, we saw the scene where Percy told Luke about the digital tapeworm in the prison control center and then later we saw the scene where Dante mentioned it to Luke. Now did Luke tell Dante or did uh, did Dante or did Percy tell Dante? I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's that is evidence that they did have some sort of conversation between between scenes. And I would I would go so far as to say that um, I would not automatically put that down as bad writing.
1: No, it's not because there are plenty of things that happen. <laughs> there are plenty of yeah. uh, things that can happen off scene. There's a whole series Except- called The Newsroom, which is Canadian that it came out in 1996. Where people talk about well, people mostly sit around talking about what happened off camera.
0: Yeah, no, I'm not saying that it can't be done, but uh, let's let's just say that the quality of writing on Star Hunter has not been at the level where I, if if it's if you see it on camera, it's how do I put this? You know, sometimes you can just people say things and. You know that the writer didn't realize That that person wasn't in the room When the thing happened And you go yeah that's just lazy writing uh, And then there are other cases where They Drive it home With ridiculous Obviousness to make sure that you know That that person heard The thing <laughs> like to, to get between point A and point B So that the audience won't be going Well he wasn't in the room anything. Uh, And so Star hunter has never been at the level where I thought that they cared about things like that um and in fact many of the things that you actually hear on camera uh, don't make any sense so in in context anywhere so you know i i I did not didn't give any thought to it one way or the other it's just yeah all right well, it makes sense that Dante probably told her what can you do and she said oh i'm I'm gonna do this and I can do that and I can do the other okay, go to it and in fact i kind of halfway thought that Dante would have been on it at the beginning. Uh, and then it's Lucretia, Lucretia that's getting uh, told about it later on. Um, I like the fact that they put uh, Percy to work as a janitor. I think uh, I, I think that role suits her. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that, that Dante and Lucretia thought that was a funny joke. Because I sure did. <laughs>
1: and it was a good cover for her because of course she had to go around the ship.
0: Cleaning, yeah. all uh, Big ship. Cleaning all the places nobody goes. Um, yeah. In the Jeffrey's tubes and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and it humiliated her. So clearly she didn't appreciate it. So, I, 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 yeah, I liked it on every level. I liked it on every level. And I like the fact that... I, I genuinely like the fact that they put her to work doing something that she actually is good at. Okay. So... Um, now I'll, I'll pick on her and I'll probably continue to pick on her forever uh, unless she just becomes a completely different person in the second season but She does. Uh, yeah, figures Well, hopefully somebody set the guys down and said, okay we need to fix this uh, But, you know, usually when they sit down and they say, okay, we need to fix this they usually actually make it worse See Space 1999 Buck Rogers, et cetera, etc, cetera, etc cetera. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for Save that for when it unfolds, but uh, let's see. I perhaps I'm a little out of touch because I don't watch a lot of current television anymore. But I have to say, I thought uh, I thought her foot crotch rubs were a lot closer to his penis than they normally allow to be shown on television
1: yeah actually um i did notice that um i um uh, and when I, I say wa-
0: closer i mean touching yeah i um, yeah, yeah. i
1: don't i don't watch um contemporary television myself uh, i just got to the i used to watch a great deal of television when i when I was growing up i did and then as i aged, I just watched less and less and less yep. and less and less and eventually one time when i moved i just i never no i just i took the occasion to cut the cord
0: i am I am ditto and cord cutting i I catch things that I really, really want, like the expanse or something but yeah. um, you know that that's that's kind of it so I don't know standards may have you know standards change with time but
1: again but, i don't, I don't know what broadcast standards were in Canada around two thousand one
0: right right and and we we know that there was there were breasts yeah. stripper dancing in the first episode so you know that wouldn't have flown that wouldn't have flown here so i i did note it and i thought wow she's getting a little closer than oh oh no okay well (laughs) it
1: does actually fit based on her comments about her husband
0: oh yeah 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 no i it, it i there was never had any doubt that that's what she was going for Right, But you don't have to have any doubt for that in a TV show. You can see the foot get on the knee. You can see the foot moving up the leg. And then you can cut to the reaction shot of the guy going, and the, you know, the eyes popping and whatnot. And you go, oh, okay. Uh, you don't usually actually see the foot reach its destination and, and give it a good rub. Um, that was, um, yeah. I was <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, okay. Yeah. And, and the question arose in my mind, and if you can't remember, I'm going to make you go back and watch it. Did they cut before they got to that part in the original? Was Which, it was it more subtle?
1: It was exactly what what you like what you saw,
0: huh? Because they didn't have the breasts in the first one, though, right? They did.
1: Well, actually, oh, they did. Okay, when I when I keep in mind when I the ones I watch, okay, I watched these on disc. I never saw them on television. And when it, and when you look at the packaging for the DVD set for the first season of the unaltered star hunter um it says with additional footage
0: mm mm-hmm. mhm okay so it's got the european cut yeah um okay all right so we will never know uh and and I'm not going to hunt for it to find out so
1: maybe maybe <laughs> we maybe maybe that was the version that showed in england or something I don't know yeah i've seen enough british television to know that they um oh well have different standards
0: Yeah, all the way back to Monty Python, you'd get something like that. So, Um, yeah, Ah, ah, okay, well, you know, it it is a comedy. I I I really really like the fact that Dante and Lucretia are past this this crap (laughs) that they've been, you know, at odds for the entirety of the season they don't they don't have to be pally-wally although i you know it kind of <sighs> beggars imagination that they could uh, that they could continue to function as antagonistically as dante was throughout the time so that's a good change that that's something they needed to get out there a long time ago in the show to to get past that to get past that dynamic and to arrive at this one so that's good um, i hope that's not a fluke because of a one-off writer or no something it's not because for,
1: the, for the rest of the season they're past it
0: well that's a good thing that's an improvement in the show already uh and we've had two episodes in a row with not much percy in him and that's an improvement too so um uh, yeah i know that's not going to continue but there you go think the lighter tone suits this show because it's it's so um, uh, what's the phrase? Uh, is it po-faced? Is, <laughs> is that the fa- phrase? Um, they, they, they're so damn serious or mm. they're putting on a serious face all the time. Perhaps the word, like, perhaps the word is, is grim. Well, kind of. But that, that's not quite it. Either. It's grim. It, it is grim. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that you feel like the people making it are trying to make a point with the grimness. And, again, they're not very good at whatever they're doing. So it, it, it comes off as, I hate to say this, as attempting to be pretentious or it comes off as pretentious, except that it doesn't rise to the material to be pretentious, and so you just you just get the feeling they're all sitting around going, "We are making the most important thing ever," and it, the material doesn't suit that. A lighter edge suits this show better, and frankly, uh, 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 Michael Pare does a lot better. In this episode, with the material he's given, he plays this better than he normally plays Montana. So, still not a fan, but you know, and and we've got some old Montana there during the bit where he decides to take control of the ship and kick everybody off, and think he's going to get out of space dock with a stolen ship. But you know that that was old Dante, and he just doesn't do that well. But he does kind of play to display this better, so I'll go. And you know, let's let's carry this one forward. Lucretia was she's always been the better person on this ship, always. But you know, even when she got to the point where she walked out to go try to comfort Zelda uh, after the disastrous dinner party, you know, yeah. it's just it's it's a it fits, but it's also it's a good look for her. Didn't it? Didn't work well because Zelda's a horrible psychotic lunatic. But it is a good description for her. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> she, she, she's crazy. She's a crazy one. Um, yeah,
1: but I noticed. I did notice that our regular cast did um, take to the lighter tone well.
0: Yeah. That that's basically it. I think that the tone makes a huge difference for this show.
1: I mean, that. I mean, I mean, all the way through to the, to the last scene where they're on the bridge watching the brig, and they don't want to miss it. They they, they don't want to miss anything while Zelda yeah. beats beats up on her husband.
0: Yeah, I do kind of wonder how long that trip back to uh, Reno Seven was, because I mean the show might get boring after the first few days or <laughs> however far out they are from uh from the station now i'm gonna i'll, I'll put this out there I, i'll even go so far as to say that that i'll i'll give you permission to go spoilery on this okay how about that all of those bars and stuff that they put in for it to be a prison ship seem like a damn good thing to have on board the trans utopian going for the, forward but for the rest of the run we never see it again Never see it again. Of course not. I knew that was (laughs) going to happen. They're going to forget that completely. It's like, that is a shame because that ship needs some security upgrades. And, uh, you know, Percy broke it. Percy could have fixed it. And then they would have had a prison grade security system on board their ship, which would have, you know, saved their bacon so many times throughout this series. Right? I mean, what they needed was what they needed was a real prison, and not just a couple cages down in the I don't know, the Lido deck or wherever it is, <sighs> of a cruise liner. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Take them out. I don't want any of that Supermex crap on my ship. It's like, "Thanks, Dante. Good thinking. <laughs> Good thinking, guy. else do we have let's see i have
1: have, i have the return of the stun rounds
0: yeah we did we did see a gun that shot a funny a funny stun round
1: and then a few a, a little bit later all three of the guards were in one of those cages and they all looked alive
0: yep i did notice that i don't think they used the same effect did they
1: i was wasn't paying attention to the effect but i'm not it's 10 rounds, in right?
0: other words, when when Max shoots uh when Max shoots uh Dante, there is a definite little bolt of energy that fires out of it. Yes, there is. I don't recall that when he's shooting them in the hallway. And I admit I didn't go back and watch it again because I didn't really think about it at the time, but it definitely it I had doubts as to whether or not they were dead. Because I thought the guns actually fired, you know, like a little Powder smoke explosion when they were shooting. It definitely looked like he. It looked like he killed them, and then obviously he didn't. And even when he told Lucretia to take him in the cage, he knew they were alive. So um, that that cross. Obviously, there is some uh, there is some uh, satire, if you will, in this episode about uh, corporate uh, corporations. Corporate uh, profits and losses, yes. uh, corporate culture.
1: And, and and private prisons.
0: And private prisons, yeah. Which, oh, <laughs> uh, what a bad idea that is. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. What a, what a bad idea private prisons are. Was like, somebody's making money off of keeping people in prison. Guess what the whole system will be geared towards doing? Putting in, more people in, in prison.
1: prison. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, um, and also my the final note I have is um, that in the cut opening transmission from the ridge from the unaltered episode, um, Rodolfo, that is Rodolfo's opening transmission. Um, Rodolfo talks about greed. He, being about insulating oneself from life and death. And that theme, so what what do we think about that theme's relationship to the episode?
0: See, now, I'm just going to add out here that that's exactly the kind of thing that fits with my earlier thesis that these guys thought they were doing something really important with their writing. Because... That has that sort of, I'm going to set you up to understand the moral of the story that you're supposed to learn from today's story. Um, you know, two things. I mean, one, if you have to be told it up front or you have to be primed for it, then you're not doing a great job. And the the second one is, does he mention the fact that he sold the ship?
1: No, he mentions it in the opening transmission of episode 17.
0: So not this episode. In other words, we get an opening transmission of them and he talks about greed and the things people do, but this transmission to whomever doesn't mention the fact that he sold the ship. So because right, you're supposed to you're supposed to get a surprise when Dante comes on board the ship yes. and these guys are bringing stuff on there. But if Rodolfo if this were actually a, a meaningful communication, he would be setting that up. Um but he doesn't because that's not the purpose of these opening transmissions. And I I'm I'm genuinely glad that they dropped most of them. They just don't sound like they work or they would not work for me. But it's it's very rare when you can when you can set the stage up so that you know, you know, the theme you're supposed to be looking for. There there has to be a has to be a reason that it echoes instead of oh, I see what he was talking about kind of thing. Yeah, never seen him, not a fan. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's such, yeah, I mean, not,
1: and, and, and sometimes the opening transmissions have nothing to do with the episode and you can cut it and you don't have a problem. Sometimes it would help. Um, those are generally the times that they are in in the Redux episodes. So sometimes they're linking material from one episode to the next.
0: You know, and it and it's... It's not a bad idea it's not a bad idea at the at the beginning i mean it's like it's like a captain's log in star trek it gets you to where you need to be without having to to invest time in the drama of of getting your boring mission assignment and flying across space to get there right right that could be a perfectly good means for just assigning dante a job and giving the audience enough that you know Dante doesn't have to sit down with Lucretian and say did you know that we were traveling to planet Omicron Ceti 4? No, I didn't know we were going to Omicron Ceti 4. Is that our destination? Yes, it is. Why are we going there? Well, there's a very dangerous prisoner there who's going to be uh a handful because he's very dangerous and it's like okay, we don't <laughs> we don't need that. But, you know, if Rudalto says, you know, Dante your assignments to go to Omicron Ceti 3, the authorities there have a prisoner, it's very dangerous, pick him up, escort him to Mercury, boom, bang, gone, or something to that effect. It it's not it's not flawed that they could use that of a boss talking to his subordinates and explaining what's he's supposed to do or what setting up the situation, but but just that sort of rambling babbling that it seems to be that he's doing, uh just really I don't know.
1: Um, I have a quote here that may go that may relate to uh, one of your critiques. The source is G. Philip Jackson. who was one, one of the one of, the, cre- guys w- does. One of yeah. the creators of the show, along with Daniel Dore. And um, this, he, he wrote me um, an email on November the ninth of two thousand nineteen. And this is a line. This is a sentence from that email. On on both seasons. For totally different reasons. There was a struggle for for creative control reflected in unintended mysteries in addition to intended mysteries.
0: Well, I mean it does it does fit. Uh it does feel a bit like the rudder is not firmly in control of somebody who's I I, I think you're right. I think that does fit with my critique. The show does not feel like it's got a consistent vision you know for a show that that is obviously trying to have one right i mean we we had the episode just recently where they tried to put together all the completely disparate manifestations of the divinity cluster and convince us that that was all a unified logical facets of it and you know, we can we can say, oh well, you know, it's just got forty-eight different facets, and we've only seen seven of them. But at the same time, it's it doesn't feel that way to me. It feels like they didn't know where they were going. They just knew that they were trying to go some. Uh, Bad Wolf is the perfect example of this in Doctor Who. When they got to the end of it and they explained Bad Wolf, and it's like, oh, this is me sending the words out to warn you about this situation. And you're going, well, first off, the words, words didn't warn them in any way, shape, or form. And two, in some instances, they literally never saw them. They They, they literally occurred to third-party characters without... Any interaction to the Doctor arose. And you go, no. What that was is that somebody at the beginning said, we're going towards Bad Wolf. Try to work it into your episodes. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. But, you know, I'll tie it all up at the end. It'll make sense. That's what the Divinity Cluster feels like here. I mean, the guy at the beginning got you launched with it. And I, and I presume he's going to be in at the end. He will. Or the pieces that you know the key pieces along the way but it feels like some of those epi- other episodes where strange powers were manifesting that maybe they didn't have such clear vision when they were assembling that episode so i'll um i'll i'll, I'll go that if they were having corporate problems uh, which you know could be part of the satire in this episode that could you work. know if you're if if the creative is complaining about the corporate mentality and tv is absolutely and positively a corporate endeavor uh, and and to the detriment of them to the detriment of them i think in the long run i mean i i i almost never go see movies now not because i don't like you know they're so obviously Shaped by what will sell the most tickets, yeah, Does that make sense, yeah. and to the expense of telling a good story or a coherent story or uh, you know it just it just kind of it's like yeah you can, you can see uh, one of my biggest complaints is that Star Trek, you know in the Abrams universe and even even earlier but but particularly in the Abrams universe, uh you wanted and they did finally get there. In the end but you know they they want to have earth in it it's got to be earthbound it's got to be near earth we got to be doing earth Earth is important because marketing studies have shown that sixty percent of women who watch science fiction movies don't want to be in space okay. I believe 60 is the correct number I, I that that's that's legit I'm not making that up as a so that's their marketing and says well then in that case i guess what we need to do is we we have to threaten the earth instead of planet omicron seti three you know it just it, it just they, they don't relate or or they don't think they relate they don't they're not worried about telling a good story they're worried about telling a marketable or presenting a marketable vision and so i could i would totally understand how somebody on the creative end would hate that absolutely hate the whole the aspect of we got to do what sells the most or well, we got to hit the budgets we got to hit the time schedules we've got to, we've got to be all on board it's one big happy go- yeah no i could, i could I'm, I'm totally on board with them hating that <laughs> if they do i'm i get it i totally get it and we're less we are we are diminished because it is the way it is because TV and movies cost a lot of money and you just can't, you just can't go out and make your own TV show and, you know, without interference, No, you know, without money, and without interference. So I can, yeah, I can totally, I could totally see that. I, I don't, I don't know that I have, uh, I don't know that I have anything else. I um, don't
1: except to say that episode 17 is a twist in time. And episode eighteen is eat sin. That uh, episode seventeen leads into seventeen, eight leads into episode eighteen, and um, they're both um, bottle shows. Saves the money. Yeah, and also, but i tell you to tell them um, focus more on story.
0: They could try that. That would be a that would be a thing that they could do, uh, and and see how that works for them. <laughs>
1: I mean a bottle show can be good like that or it or it can be Shades of Grey.
0: Yeah, well they're not flashback shows, right? Yeah, I mean so,
1: or I mean or it can be um the one of the best episodes from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Doomsday Machine. Duet. Oh. Duet.
0: Duet? Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Which was yeah. Dan which was a damn good episode.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah, you can have good you can have good bottle shows. I, I I don't even think of, I, I mean, I get it. Shades of Grey is a bottle show, but you know, I think of bottle shows like The Immunity Syndrome and Doomsday Machine right. and even, well, practically Corbomite Maneuver. Yeah, it makes because sense. Some drapes and a and a sofa does not uh, <laughs> a spaceship make make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, in that case, uh, we will be looking for a twist in time next time. Kenneth, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Fusion Patrol, John and I are going to start filling in a couple of missing episodes from the Fusion Patrol back catalog. Next time, a special episode. We'll be looking at the man from Atlantis episode, Crystal Water, Sudden Death. Come join the conversation.